This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I've known my next guest since he was born and he's grown up into a very lovely young man and he's very talented. He's a musician, a songwriter, a composer and he's lovely. It's Danny Harrison. Danny, hello, how are you? I'm good. Right. I'm really good. Yeah, I'm very good. Are you in a cool place? Or we're talking on probably the hottest day of the summer. <laughs> so far, this is the hottest day of the year, and I'm in my studio, um, which is quite well insulated. But by the end of the evening, it'll probably feel like a pizza oven in here. Yeah, <laughs> it's not too bad here. I've got I've got a window open, but uh, it will get hotter. It's really not. It's really not as bad as they're making it. Out I know. To be. I heard somebody on the radio this morning say. What's all the fuss about? We spend a fortune flying off to places that are this hot, and now we've got two days of it. Everyone's, God, red alert, red alert. <laughs> I used to go out to Utah and sit in the desert oh and, like, walk in the in the kind of in – it's like where they film that show Westworld, you know, like oh, yeah. Pariah and Escalante and all those big – Monument Valley kind oh, of place. Oh, yeah, I've never been it there. It must be baking hot out there. Yeah, what, the it gets to I, like 45 degrees, doesn't it? I have, yeah, I mean, the last time I was there was probably three years ago, two years ago now, but it was so hot. And that you just, and you wear, a, you got a poncho on, you're fine. And it's like, it's really not that bad uh, in England today. No, we should enjoy it, but just. Yeah, enjoy the sun. Enjoy the sun. So you are. You you live in England, right? Because I know you lived in California for a little bit. I lived you? in California probably for the last twenty years, ever since my well, on and off because okay, but but mostly there uh, since my father passed away it was two thousand one, and we were out we were out in California when he passed away, and then I ended up staying out there to finish the record that we were working on at the time, which has its twentieth anniversary next year, I think, with Jeff Lynn, and uh, we. After that, I kind of just built a studio and I, I had a little house. So first I had a little apartment out there and then I just kind of ended up moving there because the there was a lot of great musicians and, you know, I had my dad's friends like, you know, the Wilburys and yeah. people who were very kind and lovely. And my grandmother, who passed away in 2020 in January, aged 100, who was just kind of the queen of Los Angeles, really. Is this she, your, is this your mum, Olivia's mum? My, my mother's mother. hundred, bless her. And um, my grandma Lou, who was kind of a legend amongst all my friends. And so after she passed away, it, there was, I, I didn't have as much reason to be there, mm. but also I'm glad I kind of got out, but it's, it, yeah, I was there for longer than I thought I was going to be. I was thinking I was going to move back to England after a few years. And then it just, I had a big studio and I had lots of work and lots of friends. And um, 
that kind of community was kind of destroyed by the last few years. So I ended up shutting down my studio and I have my studio here now. And so I'm in in uh, Friendly Henley. And a very nice place to be too. Back where, back where I started. But it's, it's quite, I mean, I, I've lived in both places in various um, spans of time. I lived in LA in the early 70s and then... I split up for my first husband and I went to New York and then I came back to England and kind of stayed. And then we went back to LA a second time and lived there for four years. So it's quite nice to, you know, through work really. Yeah. I had a kind of double LA experience. Like I used to go there every couple of times a year with my dad that's and, right. you know, from the eight, from when I was born really all the way through the nineties. And, and then uh, I lived I lived in the East Coast for a while. I did university out on the East Coast. Yeah, you went to Brown, right? I went to Brown. I read in your bio. Was that amazing? It was. It was great. It was great fun, actually. Great and I was, uh, and I really, it's. It, I got to attend RISD, which was really nice, the Rhode Island School of Design, and I kind of crossed over with the likes of people like Shepard Ferry, and I always liked RISD because Talking Heads came from RISD. <laughs> and you know they're like all graphic designers and uh, um they're just cool there's a lot of cool cool artists from RISD and after that I kind of moved back to England or in Switzerland with my dad and then after he passed away I kind of came back and that was kind of like a different life in LA but that lasted you know I've had like a lot of different LA lives different parts of town where you live in and you know I've been there so long that you watch kind of scenes come and go and it changed a lot, but I think I got the, probably the best era of LA because now it's in a terrible state. And I think I why, got the Why best. is it in a terrible state? I mean, I've had friends say, you know, because of all the things going on, but it's yeah. a mess. And because it was a big center for new music coming out, wasn't it? I mean, a bit like going back to the sixties when the beach boys and all also, that. It, it just feels kind of like it's gone back to being, you know, how it was kind of sometime in the eighties where it was really dodgy and there was lots of crime and, and now they're not prosecuting any theft. And, you know, it's just, it's just weird. Like there's people doing ram raids and stuff and they don't get prosecuted. It's, it's very strange. And the, you know, and there's nothing being done about the homeless problem. It's just really sad. Like that some of the neighborhoods that were very nice neighborhoods fell into disrepair. Like the infrastructure is kind of knackered and yeah, it's, it's sad what happened. I think being there in the early 2000s all the way through to like, it got better and then 2008 happened when the crash. I remember living in Venice Beach and it was like really up and coming, like it was going to be Silicon Beach and, you know, all the big tech companies were buying up land and then it didn't quite make it. It kind of crapped out again and went back to being a bit shooty and a bit dodgy. I'd say um, when I lived there, when I lived there in the early seventies, you you couldn't go to Venice Beach. I mean, you could, but you. I know when, you I, back when I was left. a kid. When I was a kid, it was a little bit like that. So I grew up skateboarding, and there was you know great places to skateboard, but there was some places you didn't go at certain times, you know, and or certain colours that you didn't wear in certain neighbourhoods, you know. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was oh, pretty heavy, and. But it was all great because my grandma was there and we used to go to the baseball. She was a huge Dodgers fan and it's just, she was like a, such a legend. And then after she passed away, I'm just really glad that she passed away very happily before this whole yeah. 
thing happened because there would have been no way of looking after her with all of the regulations and mandates and rules. And, um, oh, what with COVID, yeah, yeah, absolutely. it would have been it would have been a nightmare. Yeah, because so actually, I'm, you are you're like my daughter Carly. You're half American, aren't you? Because your mum's American, you, yeah. And Carly's dad was American, so it's like, um, yeah, my mother's me- from a Mexican family from Los Angeles, and um, my dad's a Scouser, which makes me a Scousican. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's uh it's it's not it's quite a rare combination i don't I've, i'm i met uh i, met, I think i met another scouskin once but it was that's it's pretty, so pretty thin on the ground <laughs> not many of you no so when you left brown i read that you went into automobile design is that correct I actually worked with um, I worked with McLaren cars. Yeah, that's amazing. Which was like my dream job, and I'd, I'd studied for years to get that job, and I got a really good job uh, working there uh, for Gordon Murray um, as the boss, who is just kind of my hero still to this day. He's a dear friend, but he, you know, he was a very good friend. I actually applied to get the job without him knowing because he was a friend of my dad's. My dad's one of his best friends. And I didn't want to get the job because I got, you know, favoritism. So when I turned up there, he was very surprised. I managed to get the job. And yeah, it was just a great time and ended up working a little bit for McLaren International and then went back to being a musician because I kind of moved back to L.A. But it was the design element of what I was doing in school and, and, and after school for a few years was really kind of the most helpful thing because now I have Dark Horse records again oh do you um, that's so re- interesting what you've got the label we revived dark horse records oh, wow. and it's it's a an imprint uh joint venture with bmg music international and um the lovely chaps over there at bmg and i decided to kind of try and do a project together which is um and my creative partner who used to run my label and, and manage us and be uh, kind of my creative partner, uh, David Zonshine. So we resurrected Dark Horse and we started signing catalog as a catalog label um, because originally we'd, we'd done so much work for my dad protecting his legacy and re, you know, mixing, remastering his records and the chap who I... I composed music with, who is a dear, dear old friend of mine from childhood, an incredible engineer, a chap called Paul Hicks, and a great composer too. He he remastered all the Beatles stuff, and he was even working on the anthology when he was young. So he was very young working on the anthology. So he, we had this kind of great group of people. So we'd done all this great work remastering stuff for the Beatles, remastering stuff for, you know, Paul had worked on Beatles remasters and John Lennon remasters, and we'd done George Harrison's whole catalog. And it just got to the point where people started coming to us and saying, hey, can you help us? We've got a catalog that we don't know what to do with. We've got an archive. We can see that you guys have done such great work with your archive and you don't put out, you know, tons of records. You don't do anything that's not like really custom and bespoke. So we started helping people and then we're thinking like, this is a lot of work. We should be getting paid for this. (laughs) And we should also be having, you know, building a team of people that we, you know. So the first, it started with George Harrison and Ravi Shankar. And then 
one of the first people we had all the dark horse catalog which was the original artists um and you know we're bringing them back uh we just launched re-released all the records on digital and then gonna do a box set next year but we were approached by actually through funny enough through shepherd fairy the artist um we were approached by lucinda garland who is uh, the widow of joe strummer and a wonderful dear friend um she became a really great friend of ours and kind of family and she hadn't released anything with joe since he passed away the year after my dad so it was a very similar situation with an incredible archive and incredible music and just so he was so prolific joe and every tape box hand hand illustrated labels just like mind-blowing amount of material and wow fortunately the damien hurst had actually helped them build the archive so it was extremely well organized and because Damien had done lots of art with Joe and was a dear friend and it just kind of fell to us. And, you know, a lot of people were trying to get her to sign with them and she ended up coming with us because it was kind of a ma and pa business and she could see that it's family and it, we became very close and now we're doing all this great Joe Strummer stuff. We've got a Mescalero's box set coming out. We've got a, we just did a, uh, a, two limited singles and a, and a, so a lot of vinyl and a, and a, a compilation album of stuff previously unheard. Um, That's so, so exciting. So you bring it, bring it out. Are you bringing it out on CDs or vinyl? There is, there is CD. Vi- there isn't is, vinyl quite big again? Vinyl is, yeah, we can't print enough vinyl. I mean, you know. That's inter- interesting, it, isn't it? We've, we've really tried to, and I love, again, this is back to the whole design thing. It's um, because I was so, uh, deeply involved in, in all kinds of design. And it was one of those things that I was a real passion of mine. I kind of became the creative director of dark horse, even though it's my label, I'm, uh, everything goes through me. So now I have an art team who build stuff for me and they, they do a great job. We do, you know, videos, animations, vinyl, CDs, all Brilliant. kinds of books. And, and, you know, we do it all in house and there's only a few of us, but Ultimately, I oversee everything, and um, and is that based in the UK or is that based? The, in, that the, in some country? of them are. Uh, well, I had a chap here I work with called Darren Evans, who we just did a, um, we just did the All Things Must Pass re-release, which didn't oh, come out lovely. on Dark Horse, but it was the same people designing it. It came out on Universal, which was a, a really great release that they did for us, and we ended up winning winning a Grammy for that for design for the best box oh, set. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, so that Wonderful. was a really But this is so exciting. This what was an amazing last thing. month or two months ago. So yeah, brilliant. It, it's, it, it's going really well. And then the next box set that's coming out after that, which is all the same team, is um, the Joe Strummer Mescalero's box set. So I get really involved in the design and I, you know, I just want everything. I'm super OCD, so I really want everything to look <laughs> look nice on your shelf you know quite like right, uh, quite right yeah it has to look nice and and then but there is something one i mean i obviously i grew up in the era when you know you you got out getting an album was so exciting because you got the artwork you got all the notes inside it was wonderful you didn't only have the record to play yeah but you had this wonderful piece of art to admire and read and you don't get that when it gets smaller. <laughs> no, it's hard. Actually, it's very hard. And there was a time with CD when it just, you really lost all artwork. But yeah, vinyl's back and it's, it's, I mean, it never really went away, but it's, you know, 
I think for the first time last year, vinyl outsold CD. Yeah, I read that. Um, Is it more expensive to produce vinyl than CDs? Yeah, but it's, you know, it's also, it's just such a beautiful format. I agree, 100%. You know, I... I, I kind of push all my friends. I say, have you got a record player? Because, you know, people, sometimes they've got them and they're really into it. And sometimes they just go, no, I never really thought about getting one. It's like, well, if you get one, I'll send you lots of vinyl. And that's the We've thing. We've got is, one. Well, <laughs> We've I'll send all... you lots of vinyl. No, We've always had one. This is the benefit of actually having your own label. You get to give people the gift of music. And especially during the lockdowns and all of that stuff, it really came in handy, you know, People thank me so much. I just kept trying to, you know, keep making vinyl and sending it to people. And it's a real, because it's it's like a, it can be a talking piece too. It's like, did you hear that record I sent you? And it's funny, you know, wherever I go, it, you know, you go to restaurants, you meet the maitre d' or you meet the manager or the guy that does this or that, or you go to a hotel or something. And then there's always one person who's just a vinyl nutter, you know, and, and, once they realize that you're the vinyl guy, then it's like you just have these great relationships. And it, it's good because, you know, anyone's opinion and anyone's uh, enjoyment of vinyl is as good as anyone else's. So yeah, it doesn't absolutely. matter who you are. If you've, got, if you've got the love for the music and you like the, the vinyl, I, I love it because that just means I've got an excuse to go out and not be, you know, and have something to talk about that doesn't make me socially awkward it makes me <laughs> it's something i know about and i can relate to people on that uh level yeah you know? i mean carly she that her and her husband collect vinyl and she she swears that the the sound is much more beautiful on vinyl i was having i was having this conversation um literally on sunday i ran into the great actor Andy Serkis who mm -hmm. is a friend of ours through another friend and he's also I'm a big fan of his you know huge fan of his work and his family and then we ended up I ended up sending him home with a load of vinyl um I kind of uh, just because uh, I've got boxes of all the different stuff here but we were having the same thing it was like this is uh, really exciting because you know sometimes people just think oh I've got a vinyl record they never put it on they leave it on the thing but he was another person that was like, wow, great. You know, and his, and his daughter was, they're, they're very into music. And uh, yeah, my yeah. seven year old Carly's daughter, who's seven, Joni. Yeah. yeah. Named after Joni Mitchell, by the way, because both great. me and Carly were great obsessed name. with Joni. It's a good name, isn't it? But yeah. she, she even puts the, she knows how to do it. She can open the lid and put the vinyl on and put her music on. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, and I've she loves it. It's lovely. Even if you get one of those little suitcase ones that open up, I mm. think those, you know, the ones that you can take around. The dance set. I had one yeah, of those like when I was 50. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I even tried to start making, like, little toys that, they're like little toy cars that drive around the record. So you don't even have to have a record player. You just put the record That's on, on the table. And you have a little toy car and you wind it up and it, and it, it, uh, it has, like, a little needle and the, the car drives around in circles. It That's goes around brilliant. big circles until it going around, until it's going around <laughs> little circles, and then it kind of crashes into the center of the record. So you're an inventor as well, Danny. I like stuff. To, I like building treasure. You know, 
we did a funny thing where we brought back the gnomes from All Things Must Pass. But oh. I had some friends who are filmmakers and they hooked me up with the guys from Pinewood Studios who do all the scanning, uh, LiDAR scanning. So we started scanning a bunch of stuff and we ended up scanning all the gnomes off the album cover and making like little replicas. And then they went in the box set and I'm, you know, scan everything like I've scanned uh, scanning the whole of the gardens here at Friar Park and the whole of the house and building digital models of everything. Wow. And so I, I like to do all this stuff because it's good, A, for archive purposes mm-hmm. and B, if anything ever breaks, you've got a model of it, you can rebuild it. That's true, actually. Yeah. And, you know, that's when, when you've got a place that's like this that you have to kind of be responsible for. There's just so much maintenance. I, I, so- I can't even begin to imagine the maintenance of that extraordinary um when i was talking to your mum last week she was it was a um a guy called crisp who bought it was it yeah sir frank crisp sir frank crisp sir frank crisp and he was an eccentric multimillionaire right he was a a very interesting man polymath and genius and he yeah he built this incredible world here but that he, you know, my dad wrote a song about him, the Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, and my mum, who just the, the reason we ran into each other, might I say, is because my mum released a book of poetry, which I I'm very, it's I'm so very gorgeous. proud of her for. And well, it's you beautiful. should be. It's so beautiful. I mean, I'm I I'm still reading it, and I go back on things, and it it's so uplifting. And also, I said to your mum last week, I said I also do it with a box of tissues because some of them are. So moving for me, it's oh it's goodness. hard. Like it's reliving yeah, it, also seeing it from. But a, she writes so eloquently. It's so she's, beautiful. She's really got into the flow of it, and yeah, I'm really happy for her. It, it was funny for me because, like, when we did the documentary, my mum did with Martin Scorsese, that yeah. was about about my father. Um, it was really hard watching my life through the eyes of Martin Scorsese. You know, like there were all these big crash cuts and audio that was really loud and then it would drop to silence and like all very, you know, the, the kind of editing that you expect from a Scorsese film, you know, yeah. and it's like really crash drops. It kind of drops you on these huge, like falling off a cliff kind of edits. And, you know, it's it, after a while I'd watched like 20 different ed cuts of it. And after a while I was like, I can't watch this well, anymore. Can't watch just, it anymore no. Yeah, it just hurts too much. And it's also like, it's through his eyes, not mine. So it's like, wow, that was, that's even, sometimes it looked even harsher than it felt. And there was bits that I didn't necessarily want to see over and over again. And then again, now it's like reliving it 20 years later through my mum's poetry is a totally different pain. (laughs) No, I get it completely. Listen, I, I knew and absolutely adored your dad. Yeah. But obviously, you know, he's your dad and he's Olivia's husband and I can't, and it affects me so yeah. much. Well, you guys were all great friends and, you know, and it's like when you know someone I know, it's, that well, it's, it's it's hard enough even reading it and knowing, not knowing. Well, person. I think I met your, I think I met your dad when I was 17 and that's how lot far back. We go way back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, you yeah, know, you when, I, when your mum was pregnant with you, I was pregnant with Carly because you're three months older than her. And then you kind of lose each other for a few years because I went to LA and then I went to Broadway and and they were all over the place. And But that's life though, isn't it? I yeah. mean, you kind of, 
But um, it's lovely to, and I've seen you grow up. I've seen you running around in your shorts when you were a little boy and you and Carly playing together. I mean. And you kind of stayed the same age. It's pretty funny. Ah! I don't, like, well, I you're caught, very I, kind. I caught you up. Um, <laughs> Hardly. And you're my, very, very kind. But you know, it's, that's life, isn't it? It's like we kind of logs floating down the river occasionally you float alongside each other and then sometimes you don't and then you come back and then suddenly you're floating alongside again yeah yeah but what's nice is when you relink like when you know when we bumped into each other again and we had i hadn't seen you for i think the last time i saw you before we re Connected at, at Stella's fiftieth yeah, birthday. Exactly, it was the fiftieth. Um, we had dinner with Carl. I was with Carly because I was working in LA, and she came out, and we came to your house in LA with your mum for yeah. dinner. Yeah, that was the last time I'd seen you, which must be ten years ago. It's again ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing how quickly ten years goes by. I know. Don't tell me. I mean, and I'm really, only thirty-five, darling. Exactly. <laughs> Now, the other big, big memory in my life, and you were a huge part of it, was the concert for George at the Albert oh, Hall, yeah. which we were very lucky to be a, an audience member. You played, didn't you? Which is 20, 20 years this year. That's right. 2002. That, that was an extraordinary evening. How was that for you? Must have been such mixed emotions. Heavy, very heavy. I mean, a lot of it was just staring at your feet, trying not to cry. Yeah. And, you know, playing Isn't It a Pity with Billy Preston and, you know, so many people also, so many people on that stage that were so close to me passed away after that. You know, know. Mike, Michael Kamen, the composer. I know. Great, well, he was a great friend. That was a shock. Well, I know. Michael was like my godfather and he was like one of the closest friends of my family and just the sweetest people. Oh, and I that's, know. I guess, why I ended up becoming a composer like he was the inspiration for me you know why I, I grew up watching oh, him do interesting yeah I, I mean he he helped me when I was at university learn how to use music and um, do music on computers you know and like learn how to uh to compose and, and yeah because and, you do I I'm sure people know this but you as well as doing your your personal music you compose for film and tv series and television, mm. and television. is it a huge difference kind of in a mindset of when you're composed do they send you the film and you have to watch it and put music to it how yeah, does I mean, that work? i'm not 100 percent sure how it works when you score stuff to picture it's it's you know that you're getting revised cuts all the time people are sending you uh you know cut and then maybe they make an edit and you have to change the score to fit the edit and then sometimes you get like a kind of vibe of what's going on and then you'll send a piece of music and then sometimes they they will cut to the piece of music that you wrote so like if you're Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan that's like they'll work these big pieces that they do they'll tend to cut these big sequences to the to the score and you know it works both ways around which is uh it's just however you can get it in there but a lot of the time you know, what, whatever goes in there first, people get kind of married to that. So it's like, you've got to try and keep it fresh. I guess I did a, a film just recently, which is if anyone sees it being shopped around, I hope they get to see it because it's going around festivals and stuff now. And it's called Futra Days, F-U-T-R-A. And it's um, a director called Brian David Schindler. 
And he, we did his first film, Seattle Road, which was a really great kind of trippy sort of dramatic art piece. And I really had fun doing that. And it was funny because I did that film score and then the kind of palette of things that I'd built sounds and things that I was working with had infiltrated my brain so much that I then ended up the record that I brought out, which was my solo record a couple of years back called In Parallel, was kind of like a companion, like the the, the score. And if you listen, like if you got the score and then you listen to In Parallel, you would hear that they were like related. And funnily enough, Ryan's second film, uh, Future Days, is kind of the same for my new album. And so I've just finished that score. And well, I finished that score about six months ago. And then I just finished my new record, which I don't Ooh, have. When does that come out? We're probably beginning of next year because, you know, anything oh, okay. now, it's like it takes nine months to make vinyl. It's, you have does to. It? Yeah, wow. this is because of just the world at the moment. Yeah. Everything takes a long time. So, okay. But that's exciting. So it'd be out early 23. I think so. Yeah. Beginning of next year, you know, provided there is still a world to release it into. Oh, please. (laughs) There will be. There will be. No, there will be. It's a very different world that I grew up in. Oh, totally. But, but, you know, if you look look back through history, the world changes and, you know, civilizations. (laughs) We were watching a thing last night, which was really interesting on one of the streaming channels about Caesar. And that world, and you yeah. know, and it they they were the powerhouse of the world, you know. Well, it's definitely changing, and this the world. I'm what I kind of meant was like the world that we knew was going away, and this new wonderful earth is happening, and you know, it's. Um, but I'm sure to- you'll agree with me. The most important real thing, really, <laughs> without you know, not politics and all that is, you know, making sure the planet's all right. Yeah. I mean, and what's amazing, my seven-year-old granddaughter, God bless her, all of the kids, they're very aware of it. Because when I was little, we didn't even talk about things like that at school, but the schools are informing the children. They feel, I mean, she tells me off if I put the wrong wrong piece of rubbish in the wrong bin. And she's yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely a move towards consciousness, and I, you know, how much that's being hijacked for a greenwash agenda, you know, some 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 things are good, some things are bad, and also like you know the real polluters out there. It's like that's the thing that we have to really look at. I think the pollution and and who are the real polluters, you know, know. And, and they're it, the, they're the hardest ones to change. Yeah, so it's like you know, it's it's, it's um, everyone has to do their bit, obviously, but. We've got to look at the real pollution. The bigger picture. Yeah, no, I totally, yeah because I totally otherwise, otherwise it's just a uh, paltry offering, you know. We have to do it properly, um, which is part of the way that the world is changing, you know. And it's like that, things like that no one knew before. And now people know that stuff. And in the last, even in the last three years, there's so much information about the world and the way it actually works Yeah, that people know now and names of people who are, you know, infamous or, or, you know, who, who were just all hiding before. And now they're, they're all, you can see what's happening. And it's, it's, it's kind of a very much like a veil being lifted from how society is, is really functioning. And I think that the people really have to go back to being community based. And yeah, I agree. It's I that agree. choice point, you know, I keep seeing the diagram everywhere where it's like, if you choose the point that's now, and if we move forward with love, and with community and collaboration and 
you know, acceptance and genuinely collaboration, you know, like. But your dad, your dad was a front runner of these feelings and the spirituality. I was talking to your mum about it, actually, because he was quite, that was quite new and forward thinking then. Totally. And, uh, you know, because it was the 60s, it was all free love and you can do anything. And he had, he had a different mindset and there was a, a wonderful inbuilt sense of what is right and what's wrong and, and, and the beauty of the world and how, I mean, it's interesting. He was, you know, really ahead of his time in that thinking and trying to get it over in his music, which he did in his songs. I also feel like, you know, it's that whole thing as well, which is, uh, you know, opening people's eyes to things being legal or things being moral, you know, because there's so many things that are legal, but are just morally bankrupt and terrible yeah, absolutely you know and it doesn't mean that just because something's illegal or it's le- it's legal for listen them it's to le- do that. legal to have a, a machine gun in yeah. america well it's just you know it's it's legal to it's legal to do you know terrible things and and that doesn't mean that we that you can just say oh well that's legal so we can get yeah, away with I it it's, it's, totally it's, agree i think the whole thing is coming from a moral perspective now and like what's what's actually right natural law you know and breaking natural law is not good. And when you have like the choice point we were saying, it's if you're living in fear and it's that spiral of awareness, if it's loving awareness, it's going outwards and it's helping people collaborate and unify. And if it's defensive awareness, it's going inwards. Um, it's going inwards and it's selfish and it's fear and it's choosing to give over your, give over your autonomy uh, to whatever, whoever will take it, whether it's a corporation or a government or, you know, some people will manipulate you if you give up your autonomy. So it's very much choosing to be ruled or choosing to be free, you know? And I think that this is, when I say the world left, uh, I mean, like, my record is very much, I guess, talking about this. And, oh, good. Uh, but in it's in, from my perspective, in just as a person uh, on the ground, just as a, from what I've experienced, you know, if, 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 it, if it, it's funny, because if it, I, I see it changing so much that, by the time my record comes out, it might not be relevant anymore. We may have solved the problem. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it will. Anyway, I'm sure it, it'll be a gorgeous, gorgeous piece of music anyway. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, because I know we've got to wind up pretty soon because I know you're busy. Um, you played with amazing people when they inducted your dad into the rock and roll hall of fame tell me about that because it sounds amazing it was an interesting night um tell, tell us who you played with i, well, mean, I got to i got when to i go read and, it was like oh my god i got to see um one of my favorite bands traffic were inducted the same oh, day yeah, stevie winwood yeah, stevie winwood and jim capaldi who was again back to what we were saying when we got distracted on the stage for concert for george jim capaldi was another one that wasn't isn't around anymore and um billy preston another yeah, one that passed away you know all of those people on that stage were there's a lot of people there who aren't around anymore yeah. and you know uh ravi you know, who know. Was from, oh, who, who'd, who'd written the piece ravi shankar you know so you know what we're doing with our label trying to protect all of that great music and get it back out to everyone but that night in new york was was it Tom Petty? And- Tom Petty, Jeff Lynn, and we Stephen Winwood and Capaldi, and then we had Eric's band. Oh no, we had the Heartbreakers. It was the Heartbreakers. Oh, okay. And 
I read somewhere Prince was in the lineup. No, Prince, was that not? Prince, Prince had been inducted earlier in the day. Oh, okay. And actually, they had this thing where all of the promoters, all the managers, not in the, the, the organizers of the event were desperately trying to put him into our mix. And we were trying to honor my dad, which was being playing things the way that we'd done it. And, you know, we'd rehearsed very specifically. I had Mark Mann on guitar doing all the solos perfectly like we did at Concert for George. And they ended up throwing a cat amongst the pigeons and putting Prince on with us. And <laughs> it was it was funny because Jeff Lynn and Tom, you know, it was it was hard for them to just throw Prince into the mix. And they, of course. You know, there's the kind of grumpy dad vibe where it's like, who's this guy, you know? And, <laughs> but they were also very, you know, like everyone knows how amazing Prince was, right? Yeah. But he, his attitude was a little bit too much. You know, he was like, okay, we weren't necessarily seeing eye to eye. Um, okay. but I, so they, they kind of stuffed me in between Prince and the Heartbreakers and Jeff because I was the youngest and it was like, okay, you, you, you like Prince, you know, put Danny in the middle. So that's <laughs> why so I just couldn't like, I was just nervous laughing all the way through. Cause I knew that's what was so going to happen. And I knew that he was going to do like this insane guitar solo because he'd done it a little one in, in soundcheck. And he was kind of, he did that whole bait and switch thing where he was like, Oh, I'm just going to play this. It's like, no, I, I could see that he was about to just try and blow everyone away. Because he'd been inducted earlier in the day, and I think oh, he, I, see. I think he was a bit miffed that he didn't get the finale right, so he wanted. Oh, to, I see. And George, was, George <laughs> we were the we were the finale, the guitar gently weeps. So it kind of made for a perfect storm. I have to say that that's one of my favourite songs ever. Have you got a favourite dad song? Have your dad? I think my favourite dad song is like "Run of the Mill." Um, oh, really? That's and interesting. And I think it's a lot to do with the. The lyrics, you know, I everyone. Mean, there's so, so many gorgeous songs. But I think my guitar, well, it's all, always just been one of my favourite songs anyway, across well, the board. It's, it's so beautiful. It, it's one of those ones that at, at uh, after Prince and after, you know, Clapton at, at Concert for George and Billy and stuff, like we've kind of retired that song for guitar players now. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like no one's going to do that any more than they did. So like... It, People are always like, will you play Guitar Gently Weeps at this concert? No, no, no. we're done. When, not after the, you know, Prince kind of jump, jumped backwards <laughs> into the crowd and threw his guitar. And it's, I'm just standing there laughing and laughing. And everyone's like, why are you laughing so much? I'm like, I'm laughing at how bombastic and ridiculous it was. But at the same time, it, it great showmanship. You know, Prince is such a great performer. Oh, yeah. Oh, my and, God. Bless you know, him. But I was laughing at just like, I could just, <laughs> I could just hear the thoughts in everyone's heads, you know, and it was just like, I was right in the middle, just listening to this, this, all That's of the thoughts so of everyone. Funny. And it, I just couldn't stop laughing. And I think the funny thing was, cause I'm standing right behind Prince and he disappears off the stage. because He's like a backbend. So that most of the footage is just of me laughing. <laughs> the other thing I, I read that really made me laugh when you were little you, I think you got a, a when you were six. You had a drumming lesson from from a quite unknown drummer called Ringo Starr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he played the drum so loud it frightened you. Is well, that lived, true, or is that I, just yeah, one I'm of those pretty sure. I, I lived in I lived in a very quiet house with like you know I was like a meditating child in the middle of a forest, and Ringo comes <laughs> and bashes this big kit. I was like. 
<laughs> couldn't die. I ran out of the room crying. I think I screamed. That is so sweet. But I, I do play the drums now, and I do love. You? I I play the oh. drums. Yeah, I play the drums on my new record. Actually, Ooh. I love. I love playing the drums, and yeah, I've been trying to convince people to let me be the drummer in their band, and no one's taking it. <laughs> it I've got no takers. If anyone needs a drummer out there, okay. Got a drummer for hire. Um, yeah, drummer for Listen, hire. Listen, it's been so lovely talking to you. I finally got to talk to you, and um, although I've known you all your life, it's lovely to kind of yeah. It's of nice to sit, sit down, down and have, and have a, a chat. A, um, a chat. Bit hot for tea today, so I got myself. Yeah, a yeah. I was going to ask you. Well, I have. I am. At, do you drink tea? Are you a tea I drinker? Do. I'm a. I, I'm an old grey in the morning kind of guy, and I try not to drink too much of it because I, it gives makes me shake after three o'clock. But yeah. yeah, see, tea doesn't. I, I don't drink coffee because I don't drink coffee. My, it makes oh. my heart palpitate. Yeah, me, but I've me. got a lemon and ginger tea, lukewarm, and that's I've quite nice. I've got a celery and ginger green juice right now, Ooh. which is setting me up for the day. That's very nice. Well, I hope your building goes well. Oh my, my builders. <laughs> Can in we come and see it when it's all done? When it's done, you have to come for tea. Well, we're going to come out and see your mum in the autumn. So come and visit us in the garden, and um, and I'll bring Carly because she'd love to see you. Yes, it will be a good catch up, and all you of know, you guys. We'll have tea in the garden. Tea in the garden, yeah. Um, Lovely. Well, I wish you the nicest of hot days and today, and I hope you keep cool. And everyone out there who's listening on this day, if it's probably raining when you're listening to this but it's yes it today was really hot so we hope yeah, everyone had a very nice hot time. but enjoy it enjoy and be it careful. go and put your feet in the in the pond or something in the <laughs> river <laughs> yeah just don't jump in yeah well lots of love and thank you for having us you're welcome on this lovely show that you have i'll see you soon see you soon Oh, that was fabulous catching up with Danny, although it is the hottest day of the year. <laughs> Probably go and, and jump in a cold bath now, I think. But um, I really look forward to his album coming out, which we'll have to look out for next year, early next year, and all the exciting things he's doing. It's lovely. Anyway, keep cool. When this goes out, it'll probably be cold. And we'll be moaning again, <laughs> as usual. We always moan about the weather in this country. Anyway, keep well, stay safe. See you soon. Bye. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye.
you just heard a stripped media production.